welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be looking at the Patriots versus the Cardinals and what went down in that game and what's to come for the rest of the season in terms of um, the standings and where they sit, some thoughts on the Celtics and some Red Sox news. So what I want to start with is the Patriots, who ended up getting a victory against a Arizona Cardinals team that is not really that good this season. But the Patriots looked very good defensive-wise, and it helped tremendously. Um, and Josh Ucci had a great game. Matthew Judon had a great game. And it was good to see. Now, in terms of some of the players, um, we ended up seeing... What was Devontae Parker come out of the game? We ended up seeing Rondre Stevenson come out of the game. Mac Jones in this was 24 of 35, one interception, 235 yards. Colt McCoy, 27 for 40 with uh, one interception. Um, Running backs, as I had mentioned, Rondre Stevenson was out of the game uh, early. Pierre Strong Jr., five carries, 70 yards, one touchdown. Kevin Harris, eight for 26 yards, one touchdown. So... The rookie is getting it done on offense, rushing, and uh, it was not too bad. James Conner, 15, uh, 85 yards, one touchdown for Arizona, which was uh, pretty sure their only touchdown. Hunter Henry, three receptions, 70 yards. Kendrick Bourne, five receptions, 47 yards. And um, Nelson Aguilar, five receptions, 32 yards. Taekwon Thornton, four for 28. Um, and... Uh, DeAndre Hopkins had seven receptions, 79 yards, and Robbie Anderson had four for 50, and Marquise Brown four for 34, so not too bad. Um, Mac Jones had one fumble, which he recovered, um, and DeAndre Hopkins had one fumble, which he lost, which um, Raekwon McMillan brought it back for a touchdown. So uh, fumble six, um, if you will. Um, Defensive-wise, it was a great game. Um... We saw Josh Ucci had three sacks. Big game for him. Matthew Judon, one and a half sacks. Lawrence Guy, a half sack. Daniel Ucali, one sack. Total, six. Um, one sack for Zach Allen, which was the lone sack for Arizona's defense. Um, we saw Marcus Jones with an interception. Looked pretty good. Isaiah Simmons, uh, one interception, uh, five yards for Arizona. Kick returns and punt returns. Uh, we ended up seeing... Um, Two for 47 yards on kick returns. Marcus Jones, one for seven yards punt returns. Farrell Cooper, five kick returns, 134 yards. Greg Dorge, two, 17 yards punt returns. Um, The kicking was perfect for Nick Folk, two of two on field goals and three of three on extra points. Matt Prater was two of three on field goals and one of one on extra points, which not too bad. So Patriots go into this game needing a victory to keep pace in the standings when it comes to the playoff race because the Patriots had a going into this week of football a tied record with um, the uh, Jets they also held a tied record with um, Chargers and they are currently seven seed Um, and at this point in time the way it looks they win the tiebreaker over Los Angeles based on Best win percentage in conference games. Division tiebreak was initially used to eliminate New York Jets based on the head-to-head. So if the Patriots um, can beat Miami 
and um, then go into the rest of the week um, and the rest of the season having equal footing with Dolphins. Then they will end up getting, um, potentially getting the uh, sixth uh, seed based on seeding. Um, it just depends on in um, division how it would look. Um, but they are seven and six. They are the seven seed. They need to win, uh, and Chargers need to lose, and Jets need to lose. Um, Jaguars technically technically aren't out of it um, because if the Jaguars and the Vegas Raiders and the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who all have five and eight records. If two wins come from those teams and um, the Patriots, Chargers, and Jets lose two straight, then we'll have to kind of see where they go from here. But if somehow the Vegas Raiders beat the Patriots and win another game and Patriots lose two, that's tough to watch. But at least for the time being, Patriots are holding that seven seed by the skin of their teeth. And again, if they can beat the Dolphins... They could get to um, eight and six. Um, they, you know, have to beat the Raiders. They do play the Bengals, who are nine and four. So there is a situation in which the Bengals lose a few games, Patriots win, including a win against the Bengals. They would take the series lead over them this season, and it would cause for a victory, um, and they could move into the five spot. Now, I'm gonna just say this: the Patriots' defense is what's getting them to this point where they can actually win games. The offense doesn't look the greatest. I think that's Matt Patricia to blame. Uh, their defense looks spectacular. Matt uh, Judon is great. Their cornerbacks are great. Their team is great um, on defense. And, you know, all credit to them on, you know, playing uh, well on the defensive side of things and keeping things um you know, close in certain cases and winning games with your defense as you did with um, Arizona. Moving on to the next week is against the Raiders and more so Josh McDaniels getting a homecoming um, game against the Patriots. Uh, he was an offensive uh, coordinator in uh, New England for a long time. They are playing in Vegas, but what I will say is that the Patriots will be playing against McDaniels. McDaniels playing against his former team and um, his former uh, quarterback um, Mac Jones he was the offensive coordinator last year um, Josh McDaniels is on a team that's not that good and a team with no money and he's sticking around for the time being Patriots hopefully can win this game and keep things rolling they will have to play Buffalo again which I think this one's in Buffalo and they will have to play Miami again um, and so those are going to be tough games and it's also going to be a tough one with the Bengals, but um, if they can beat the Dolphins, that would be great. Um, I don't really think Buffalo is going to be a team they can beat, but I guess you don't really know. So um, we'll see where they go from here, but I personally think at the end of the day, it's one of those things where uh, at this point in time, uh, Buffalo is a tough team to handle, and the Patriots just hopefully can get into the playoffs, and that's what I'd like to see. So one of the things I want to switch to is the Celtics. Um, and we're going to go to the Boston Celtics before I go to the Red Sox, because I think there's a little bit more I want to talk about with the Red Sox. And I feel like it makes more sense to just go straight into uh, Celtics stuff. Um, so for the Boston Celtics, um, they look pretty good. And they look like a team that is going into it 
as uh, best as they can. Um, I just read a bunch of articles talking about how Robert Williams is going to be coming back um, in the next game. He will be making his return, finally, after a long injury, um, which has come. And so Robert Williams will be joining the Celtics once again with Al Horford and everyone. Um, Celtics lost um, to the uh, Los Angeles Clippers um, in a blowout. And they ended up winning against the Lakers in overtime, which was a big win. Not because the Lakers are good, but because it's against the Lakers, which is always something that they want to um, get victories. Um, I was watching a video online, and it was looking at the changes that the Celtics made in uh, the game against the Lakers, where Anthony Davis was basically doing a pick and roll, and the defender who was guarding the, the point guard would have to fall back and guard Anthony Davis while the big man would stay up there and guard um, the point guard, um, which uh, usually meant um, that there was a smaller guy, either a Jalen Brown or a Marcus Smart, who had to guard um, Anthony Davis, which it's a difficult task to do if you're a six-foot, six-small forward or a six-foot-four point guard. Um, so what they ended up deciding to do instead was uh, shift so what would happen is Luke Cornett would be guarding uh, on the wings one of the um, LeBron James or uh, Lonnie Walker or someone who is a much smaller player. And then the pick and roll would take place. Anthony Davis would come towards the basket. Luke Cornett would uh, leave his post on the side, go and guard Anthony Davis. And then Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or whoever would switch to the guy on the wing um, and usually that would mean that there's an open shooter whether that's a Westbrook or a LeBron but those guys can't really shoot the basketball and I think the Celtics were more inclined to let somebody shoot a three who can't shoot a three rather than let Anthony Davis bust his way down and barrel his way down into the paint and score a fairly easy uh, two-point layup or two-point um, shot so um I actually saw a video on Reddit about that, which I wanted to, to mention because I thought it was actually um, great coaching by Joe Mazzulla to switch things around instead of what they were doing, which was letting the smaller defender have to guard Anthony Davis in the pick and roll. It was Luke Cornett sliding over, and they were risking uh, somebody who's not a great shooter to take three-point shot or two-point shot or try to drive to the basket or what have you. And then Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown would go and defend whoever that was. Um, Westbrook, LeBron, etc. So um, that was uh, a great change that took place in the Lakers game. And if the Celtics can adjust in-game like they did with that, it would be very beneficial against other teams as well. Now, a lot of people are wondering what the Celtics need to improve on, if anything. And i got to be honest with you, I don't think there's much the Celtics have to do in terms of improvements. I honestly think this team is good as they are, and what I expect the Celtics to do is to wait until the buyout market when there is somebody available, whether it's via um, some sort of a uh, deadline trade or pre-deadline trade, and honestly my best guess would be the Celtics probably go out there and either sign someone who got released via a trade, let's say there was a three-for-one trade and a team had to get rid of someone and release them. Or I could see the Celtics 
being a vessel. Maybe they are a third team in a deal and they take on a player um, who would have gotten cut anyways and give up maybe a heavily protected second round pick or cash or just the other team creates a TPE or something. Um, so I expect Boston to maybe get in on that uh, sort of as a three-team deal and they're the third team taking on a player with a trade exception or they just go for a guy who's a buyout candidate because um, a team trades away like four players and there's not enough room and it's something where, uh, you know, they just, you know, release two or three guys because they don't have the room for them and the Celtics snag one um, to make this uh, deal work um, for everyone else and for the Celtics get a better player that come off the bench. Preferably a big man because I think they do need another big man. I think Lou Cornett can fill that spot. And obviously with Horford and Robert Williams, you know, they'll be okay. But the Celtics are best team in the Eastern Conference, best team in basketball. And obviously uh, it's looking um, very good for them. And uh, I wouldn't expect anything different. Um, so hopefully uh, it goes well um, for the rest of the season so far. And um, yeah, let's go from there. So Red Sox. Let's talk about a bunch of different things. Um, we introduced uh, Kenley Jansen, and in his press conference, there were a lot of reporters asking questions about the Xander situation, which I thought that was a poor, in poor taste, since you're bringing in somebody who is a part of this team, and you're focused more on questions about Xander, who's not even here anymore. So that is a very tough situation, and... Um, Obviously, Kenley Jansen's happy to be here, as is uh, Mashido Yosaka, who had his press conference introduction, and um, he does not speak English, but he tried speaking a few English words and is trying to learn, which um, is obviously, um, if you're going to be playing in the MLB, um, it's not a bad thing to learn uh, English, and um, I think he's going to be a great outfielder for this team. A lot of people think they overpaid, but I think he is a good player, and I think he really would help. Now, I did see this in the news. John Heyman of New York Post, Boston is seriously considering star free agent Dansby Swanson, the Chicago Cubs, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, and um, the Atlanta Braves are listed as suitors um, as well. So the question becomes, A, is Swanson going to want a bigger deal now that Trey Turner got 11 years for $300 million, Bogarts got 11 years, 280 million, and Carlos Correa got 13 years, 350 million. The question becomes: Will Dansby Swanson be hoping to get that money, or is he going to be more suited getting a cheaper deal? Now, in my own opinion, if he did want a big contract and the Red Sox did pay him, be a slap in the face to Xander and to the Red Sox fans and whatnot. But if he wants a more manageable contract where it's more you know, six years, 200 million, seven years, you know, 200 million, um, then I think they'd be in on it more, and I think you could justify making that move. Um, he was an all-star Gold Glove Award winner. Um, he had a .277 um, ERA hitting-wise with 25 home runs, 19 or 96 RBIs and 18 stolen bases, which he's 28, so he's in the prime of his career. This is a move that if the Red Sox don't want to get rid of Trevor Story at second base, they can bring him in, and he would definitely help them as a somewhat long-term option um, with Story at shortstop. 
Now, this might cause potential problems in the future in terms of Marcelo Mayer and his situation. But what I feel for the Red Sox is basically this, which is there are many different places that they can put um, they can put uh, him if they really wanted to. Um, I think there is a whole host of options. Um, he could play shortstop and then eventually make his way to uh, DH. You could put um, Raphael Devers at DH eventually, and you could um, bring um, Swanson to shortstop, and Marcelo Mayer can learn uh, third base. So when it is time for Marcelo Mayer to come all the way up, um, he can play third base with shortstop uh, Swanson and second base Trevor Story. Potential. Um, and obviously there are so many different um, reports. Um, some are saying that uh, the Dodgers are most likely um, and then the Red Sox show up. Um, there's a whole host of teams now that are in the race for um, Dansby Swanson. And I think the Red Sox, if they really want him, need to make the right move and make it happen. Um, and uh, that's something that they uh, need to um, to consider. And I think he would be a very good player for the Red Sox uh, moving forward because he brings a lot to the table. Now, some other news to think about. The Red Sox have designated Jeter Downs for assignment, meaning he is uh, cut from the team. Uh, he's gone. Uh, unfortunately, he really didn't end up uh, working out for Boston. Um, it didn't seem like that was something that planned out well. And if you look at the Mookie Betts trade, it doesn't really look great with one of the top prospects in the deal leaving um, because they got rid of him. But what I got to let people know is that he was on a one-year contract, Mookie Betts, so the value is not the same. Um, in basketball, this is also the case um, in sports in general, it's the case. When someone's on a one-year contract, what you can get for him is not worth as much because you don't know if they're going to resign after this year. Obviously, um, when it came down to it, he did uh, resign with the Dodgers, Mookie Betts. But when it comes to um, the situation involving um, the, uh, you know, situation for the Red Sox, the players they got back weren't the greatest because of the one-year deal. Um, obviously, Verdugo was the uh, MLB-ready guy who came in this deal, and then we still have Connor Wong, who is now our backup catcher, um, but losing Jeter Downs in this, it's tough for Red Sox fans to watch because a lot of Red Sox fans are upset that we traded Mookie Betts in the first place, and now they think it was even more of a bad move um, at the end of the day. Um, and, again, it's tough to watch. It's tough to kind of see. But, uh, you know, we make the right moves. Um, at least make the moves that we feel like are right at the time. Obviously, they don't always um, work. Uh, but um, I guess it's one of those things where, uh, for the Red Sox, um, they weren't going to pay Mookie bets. And getting prospects or something out of this deal, um, it worked for them. And they also got rid of David Price, which was a big contract they just didn't want to handle. Now, the Red Sox have another issue with Devers. And if you're Raphael Devers sitting here right now, you got to be worried about your situation because Mookie Betts is gone, Xander's gone, they didn't pay him, and now your turn is up 
to get paid. And it's one of those things where everyone is talking about how, um, well, now we got to pay Devers and we got to give him the big money and all of this. Um, but it's one of those things where at this point in time, just pay him whatever you want to pay him because this guy is still in his prime, very good player. And I just, I just think that, uh, they need to just give him all the money in the world uh, that he wants. If they choose not to, for whatever reason, then I'm just going to say this. Trade him away. Like, as much as it hurts, like, if you have no plans on ever keeping Devers after this year because you didn't do it with the other guys, like, come on. Just trade him away. Get as many prospects as you can and just make something happen. But I do think they need to... Um, trade uh away Devers if it seems like he's not staying uh but they should try and um save this situation and just sign him to a long-term contract now I also want to just point something out for a second um and this is something that a lot of people are really not paying attention to in this whole off-season situation and that is John Henry and the success that we've had as a franchise Boston Red Sox since John Henry bought the team in 2002, have four MLB World Series championships. They got four of them. And that's the most out of any team in baseball in that span. And the fact of the matter is, we have been competitive in a lot of years, even if we haven't won the World Series. And so we have done very well, and John Henry has done very well with this team. Now, obviously, he doesn't get all the credit. There are tons of coaches and general managers and people in charge who uh, made these decisions and um, there are a lot of different um, important pieces uh, in the organization over the years that have made us a championship caliber roster and so when you look at Mookie Betts and you look at Xander leaving um, you're really tempted to throw your uh, blame on Sharon Bloom and then when you realize it's not really him it's the ownership you blame them the Red Sox have had so much success, they kind of know what they're doing. And sometimes you have to make changes um, and start from scratch and do things differently. Um, when the Red Sox um, won um, with a core group of guys, which was uh, John Lester and Jacoby Ellsbury and Pedroia and Ortiz and all these guys, a lot of those guys got traded away or they signed other places and the you know 2007 era Red Sox kind of um, went away, and 2013 Red Sox went away, and they brought in and ushered in a new 2018 championship, and now we're seeing sort of the 2018 team break away over the years, and Xander gone, and a lot of these other guys gone. You know what we are seeing is a bunch of these pieces moving on, retiring, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and it's ushering in a new era of baseball. And to the Red Sox fans who are upset with how things are going, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be what they believe to be the best situation. And Xander Bogarts, for his age and what they wanted, he wasn't going to get that from the Red Sox. I mean, he would have been 41 years old when his contract was up if he was still playing baseball. Like, that's not something the Red Sox wanted to do. And as much as Xander was a big part of our team, it didn't make any sense to, to give up all that money and contract space for a guy in Xander because the assumption is that 
you're going to build a new group of guys and you have Trevor Story and you have Devers for the moment and you know you add in uh, Yoshida the outfielder and you know if you can get some starters you're looking like a good team and you're looking at things being uh, pretty solid and if you bring in Dansby Swanson that's going to help a lot too and so um, the prospects will eventually make their way up the ladder and Marcelo Mayer and Sedane Rafella and uh, all these other pitchers and other prospects will eventually, hopefully, make their way and have success in Boston. And so, yeah, along the way, you got to make some tough decisions, and it's not going to be easy. But the Red Sox might have been trying to caution themselves um, just a little bit on paying big money because they didn't want to have, you know, these Pablo Sandoval, Hanley Ramirez type contracts. The Chris Sale has turned into one of those, and it's not something they really want to have to deal with on the roster. So, I think for the Red Sox, they are making moves sometimes that don't seem like the best moves for a fan's perspective. But a lot of times there are other uh, moves that get done that um, subsequent and come after that help and things work themselves out. Right? Um, with most of the moves out there that teams make. They don't always pan out. Some end up panning out very well, and some go terribly wrong, and there's always the middle. And so we'll see how this Xander thing works out, and if we do get a Swanson, then we'll see how that goes. If we trade for someone, we'll see how that goes. Um, I think uh, if Swanson wants $200 million or less, I think the Red Sox will go for it, and I think the Red Sox will take a player in their prime who is a very good shortstop and justify it by saying he is a lot less money and is an all-star caliber guy and is someone that can be a useful piece next to Trevor Story. And I think that's something that the Red Sox will try and play to the fans if he does sign here. And I think he should sign here because, you know, this is a championship caliber um, culture and team and we've had a lot of success. And, you know, I think Alex Cora is a great manager for this team. So, um, this offseason has gone in a roller coaster. And the more I've thought about it with Xander, I'm happy he's not here because I don't think the team should have paid him that much. I love Xander, and I will always love Xander, and he was a big part of our team. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you got to do what's best in the long term and the short term. And yeah, you can look at the short term and say, well, we're going to lose out on Xander. He was a big part of this group, this group, this team. He's a homegrown talent, and I understand that. But you got to look at the bigger picture at what's going on rather than just what's uh, tugging your heartstrings a little bit. Because there are players who have a big impact on you know Boston sports in general, not just the Red Sox, and they move on from them for whatever reason. And um, you know it's the right move at the end of the day. Isaiah Thomas is a perfect example. Kyrie didn't really work out, but paying Isaiah Thomas what he wanted wouldn't have been a good idea because he was undersized. And wasn't the greatest uh, player for the Celtics. So um, we'll see what happens with the Red Sox.